All right, welcome back to Tax-Free Living, guys. I'm your host, Carlton Dennis, and I'm super excited to welcome my best friend onto today's show. His name is Andrew Walsh. Andrew Walsh works with WFG Title and Escrow, and he's been my friend since high school. We met each other when we were about 17 years old, and I thought it'd be great to bring Andrew onto the show because he's a new entrepreneur. His business is growing. Um, he recently started his own podcast, and he has a lot to say in regards to the real estate market. So um, without further ado, I'm going to let Andrew just kind of introduce himself, and we'll get kick-started in here. Andrew? Yeah, what's up, KD, man? Thank you so much for having me on. You know, I, people laugh who, who know us. They're like, man, you guys are just always hyping each other up. But I, I challenge everyone who's listening today, you know, who you surround yourself with is who you become. I always want to be hanging out with friends who are smarter than me, making more money than me, because not only is that going to challenge me and motivate me every time I open up Instagram, but I'm going to learn from people who are smarter than me. And Carlton, I think you personify that in our, in our friendship. And I think um, for anyone who doesn't know, Carlton and I go way back. And when you look back in your life, I think it's crazy that you notice coincidences and they weren't coincidences. That was, that was purposeful. I was meant to meet this person because, you know, we'll probably get into it today. I was at an incredibly low point, probably one of the lowest points I ever was in my life. And I went to lunch with Carlton and I'm telling you guys, my life made a complete 180 just from one conversation and sometimes that's all you need one conversation one friend and it can change the way you look at everything yeah yeah it's kind of crazy how our relationship started just to kind of clue you guys in on where it began andrew went to school i believe at tribuco hills and i went mm -hmm. to school at Servite high school and both of us played high school football and we both ran track we met on the track and field at the starting block of the 100 meter dash. I looked over and this guy who literally was ripping out of his one piece, I'm like, who is, who is working out so hard and managed to, to make it into a 100 meter dash with all of this muscle? So I was immediately caught off guard by how big he was running in the same race as me. And I prided myself on working out pretty hard too. So two of the biggest guys running in a 100 meter race and we were neck and neck. I believe he beat me in the first time we raced. And then the very next time we raced, which was at an open invitation, I believe, I think I had beat him in the 100-yard dash. So it became more of like a competitive thing between me and Andrew. And we even faced each other in the four-by-one um, where we were competing against each other as well. So that's where your competitive nature started with me, where me and you began competing with each other. Have you always been a competitive person, or when did the competitive side to you really start? Yeah, you know what, I would say as a kid, I played Pop Warner football, and this is, this is just a quick funny story, but as a kid, I always wanted to like either dirt bike or skateboard and all that stuff, but I was really good at football, and my parents didn't want me to get hurt, so they legitimately told me like, you're not allowed to ride a skateboard, you're not allowed to ride a razor, you know, all these different things that I couldn't do. So I had to be hanging out with my friends who have bikes, skateboards, razors, and I ran everywhere. So literally, I was like the Forrest Gump of Orange County, running everywhere, fool. That's where I swear I got my speed from, and I didn't even really notice it. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, like I'm playing Pop Warner football and, and I, there was this joke. I scored on like the first play of every game for three years straight because people didn't really realize how fast I was. Yes. And I think, you know, at that young age, eight, nine, 10 years old, you start becoming really, really competitive. And I, and it was crazy. I wasn't into, I was so introverted, Carlton. I would stay inside all day. I had a pair of 10 pound dumbbells and I would do lunges up the stairs all day. Like my sister's, my older sister's friends would come over and be like, dude, your brother just like works out and he's jacked and he's like 11 years old. I'm just doing sit-ups, burpees, squats, running like Forrest Gump. Yeah, I've been competitive since I was young. So not, not having Razor scooters and electric scooters and some of the stuff that, you know, most kids would ask for at the age of eight, nine, 10, that's kind of what pushed you into running and that's where your speed developed. But did that also lead you into working out? You said you were doing some lunges with dumbbells up the stairs. <laughs> Was that when you started working out too? I will never forget this, Katie. I, we used to do push-ups, right? And if you were injured in football, you would have to do push-ups on the sideline. And I had always woken up every morning because I love Batman. And I know in Bruce Wayne, like, he'll wake up, roll out, and just start cranking out push-ups. So I did the same thing. I would wake up. And, you know, it started at 25, 30. Got to the point where I was able to do 100 push-ups straight. And I absolutely loved it. And then I'll tell you this. How I got into working out, I was tricked. I was, I was tricked into a gym, and it ended up changing my life. So my buddy that I grew up with in sixth grade, his name's Matt Chapman. He's the third baseman for the Oakland Athletics now in the MLB. I stayed over at his house. In the morning, his dad's like, hey, yeah, I'll make you guys breakfast. Come on down. We have this, like, super healthy sausage and eggs. And then he goes, oh, by the way, I need some help in the garage full gym in the garage this guy takes us through a grueling like hour 15 minute workout i'm in sixth grade and i'm sweating my ass out i just feel chiseled i'm like this is sick i love this and from there on you can't not get me out the gym now (laughs) so that's that's awesome that you fell in love with the gym i i feel like me and you had an alignment in college where we were working out a lot together and we started our fitness company where we we're training people together, which we'll get into, but it, it, it all started with the love of the pain and what resulted from the pain. I love the way, you know, fitness can, you know, lead to you looking extremely well in the mirror. I was always someone who, you know, was ambitious on having the appearance of someone who was very much in shape, someone who was chiseled like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was always someone who I looked up to when I was younger watching Terminator movies. So I think it's funny how you started working out at a young age. Now, your competitiveness led you to end up getting a scholarship for football where we went and played at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Can you talk a little bit about some of the adversity you faced um, in high school to even be able to get a scholarship as well as some of the adversity you faced in college when we were playing football together? Yeah, man, that's a great question. I know in high school, I feel like things just came a little bit easier to me because I had been playing the game for so long and I would, I call it a master of the game. I watched NFL every Sunday, college every Saturday. I was watching film Monday through Friday. So I was really a student of the game and and high school football was, was honestly for me really great. I mean, I feel like I had the athletic ability and I had the drive to succeed. But I was at a high school in Tribuco Hills um, 
who didn't get a lot of scholarship offers. I mean, to, in total, in my senior class, total of a thousand kids, there was four scholarships. Three for, wow. or two were for girls on the soccer team. One was for our long snapper who went to NC State, and one was for myself, right? And I just felt so blessed, you know, even- You were even one of in, two kids to get a scholarship your year? One, one of two kids on our entire senior class to get a full ride scholarship to go and play ball. I mean, I had an offer from Kansas as well, but I was too California kid. I didn't want to go to, to Kansas. There's too many tornadoes out there, you know? So um, I ended up going to slow and, you know, I'll share this. I think I was definitely entitled and I felt you know, I had a pretty big ego coming out of high school. You know, I'd been a, a starter on varsity pretty much since the end of my freshman year, all the way through senior year. I never ridden the bench. And I really got humbled when I got redshirted at Cal Poly. And this is one of my biggest life regrets is I think and that guys, redshirted, I, just to let people know, redshirt is when you get to college and rather than immediately playing um, your first year, they decide to do a, a what's called a redshirt where you sit out for a year. You're still in school. You get to practice with the team, but you don't get to play in any of the games. You don't get to play in any of the games. I think what killed me is we finished that year in 2011, KD, and we, we were both defensive backs. We were the last ranked college football team in pass defense, right? So I knew I could go in there and play but the coaches, you know, they push you and they give you this tough love. And I think at the time, I let that get to me and I let the coaches, you know, kind of deflate me because I just was like, oh, man, they're never going to play me. It's too much politics. And I look back at that moment as, you know, one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't push back and give the effort that I used to. I kind of quit and I, and I gave up on myself. And I still, to this day, you know, even ask my wife every night, at least five times out of the week, I have dreams about football. And I know, you know, I've looked up what that means. And that's all about, you know, building a team, working efficiently. And now everything that I wish I would have done in football, I'm applying to my business, you yeah. know? Yeah. And for someone who's 26 to already wish that they would have made um, a different change or would have, you know, reacted differently. It, it, it takes a big man to humble themselves and to look back in the past and say, you know what, for those of you who are listening right now, I'm humbling myself and saying, you know what, I could have had a different mentality. I could have approached this differently. I could have not let these words pierce so deeply into, you know, my own beliefs in myself, my own self-efficacy. So that's so important that you're, you're acknowledging that now and even more so you're rolling over, um, you know, some of that missed opportunity into what you're doing right now in the real estate oh, yeah. world. And so that's exciting to hear. You weren't only faced with trouble getting on the field. You were also faced with trouble um, from injuries. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, when I broke my back in college football, I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was going to block in front of me and I got clipped in the back and then the safety came over the top and collapsed my spine. And you know, at this time, I was pretty over football. I wasn't very grateful. But then when they tell you like, hey, you're, you're medically done, like you cannot play football anymore. What and all I had known, what was the injury? 
was so it? I, I had fractured my back. So you have lumbar, right? And then a little cushiony disc in between your lumbar and then another lumbar and a cushiony disc, right? So I actually ended up fracturing L1 through L5 into S1. So a huge segment of my spine and all those discs got compressed so much so that actually one completely cut and it pinched off my entire sciatic nerve, which left my left leg temporarily paralyzed because I had no sciatic nerve. So numbness, tingling, I would get dead leg syndrome where all of a sudden you just feel like you have a bunch of needles in the bottom of your foot and you literally have to move it with your hands and start getting blood to go back in there. And I, I couldn't even bend over because my spine had literally locked so hard that I could barely even bend over. So that was like, you know, one of those career changing moments. And, you know, I look back now, it was the worst day of my life, but now it was the best day of my life. Because from that point on, I realized how truly grateful and blessed I had been. And I had kind of pissed and wasted a lot of that through my own ego and you know, just feeling entitled. And when you're humbled down to your knees and you can't even put on your own socks, which you would help me do, it really makes you realize, you know, what's important in life? How can I overcome this? Because if I'm suffering through this back pain, how much more so is somebody else suffering with the loss of a parent or growing up homeless? And I'm over here complaining because I'm not playing football and I have all these talents and abilities. Am I putting in the work? You know, it really humbles you. Yeah. And I, I love that you said that you're even humbled when you had a broken back. I still remember the practice when it happened and then going back into the locker room and watching the film and just slowing it down and just seeing that injury. It was, it, it, it brings chills over your whole body. It's, it's one of those injuries that you knew immediately, you know, that person's not going to be okay, but you battled back and now you, you run a personal training business. And I think that that's incredible. And I want to get to that. But I personally remember some of those memories because me and you lived together during that time period. We were just moving in to our house with uh, Drew and some of the other friends that we still have. And yeah. I personally remember a memory of you coming back home um, from the training room and um, you had a bag of ice on your back as you did every single day from that injury. Um, you went into the bedroom, you laid down and I could just tell your energy was, you, you could just tell you were defeated. And a couple of us other football players who weren't injured, you know, went out and enjoyed ourselves. And when I came back home that night um, to our house, it was around one o'clock in the morning, you know, a late night for a college student. And I saw you on the couch laying down, crying with a bag of ice on your back. And I came over to you and I just put my hand on your back. I was like, hey, Andrew, what's going on? Are you okay? And you're like, I'm just in pain. I'm simply just in pain. And I knew right then and there that no matter what things that I've experienced before on the football field, that I've never been in, in a situation where I was laying up at one o'clock in the morning crying in pain or over a, a pre-existing injury. And so what I can say is I had a firsthand experience of watching you suffer through that pain, going to physical therapy, spending the time in the training room, watching them tell you, you know what, it doesn't look like you're ever going to play football again. It doesn't look like you'll ever be, ever be able to squat again to now running a personal training business. And I've seen you lift weights that 
other, other people can only dream about. So the adversity that you fought through, I had a physical account of that. And I just want to say that I'm proud of you, brother. And I'm glad that I was able to experience that because that contributed to me pushing a little bit harder on the football field when I did have the opportunity to continue to play. Yeah, bro. I appreciate that. I, I do remember that time, man. And, I, and it's crazy because I actually chose to not go surgery. And at the time, you know, my, my dad was a police officer, so he didn't believe in pain medication either because he knew how addictive opioids could be. So I actually literally with a broken back did it naturally. I mean, maybe a little bit of ibuprofen and icy hot but there was no surgery i had read as soon as you open your back up it's never the same if you put metal on your back it'll never be the same and i just didn't want to be a statistic and i knew you know that pain was so horrendous bro it literally felt like people were jabbing like a knife in the middle of my spine i couldn't sleep at night because you couldn't lay on your back couldn't lay on my side you know it, it just and when you have back injuries man it makes you depressed because those nerves run into your brain and, you know, he just saw me at one of my breaking points. And I'm like, man, the guys aren't coming home for a little bit. But yeah, man, I appreciate you. You're really there for me in that time. And, and I'm happy, you know, at least through my story, it, it inspired you to push yourself. It did. And one of the things that I will say that I noticed about you during that time period is you got stronger in other areas of your life. More importantly, your spiritual life. Um, I remember when you had a broken back. In the morning time, when I would wake up, I would hear Ray Lewis coming <laughs> from your bedroom. <laughs> and it was because you had put on YouTube videos uh, of motivational videos of Ray Lewis, and he was preaching, and it was, it was as if you had a football coach talking to you every single morning. And immediately after you watched your Ray Lewis videos, I would hear a service, whether it was from a pastor or a, a, you know, a priest, I heard you, you practicing your faith. And at that point in time, I could tell that even though you weren't at the, the best place in your life, you were making it through with God. And that was so important for me because it showed me how you can still do the right things when everything seems like it's against you. Oh, and yeah. you're a very strong person for that. Yeah, bro. I appreciate that, man. I want to fast forward to where you're at now. You, hearing that you had a broken back and that you're running a fitness business and you're doing real estate might sound odd to some people can you tell me a little bit about when you decided to start andrew walsh fitness and how that's going for you now yeah man so pretty much from from that point on i changed my whole life because for a while i couldn't work out and my body was so used to like exerting my physical muscles and then i would help me sleep that I was like, I need to start working my spiritual muscles and my mental muscles. So I had to feed my mind positivity because bro, everything that I looked at was gray. I was depressed. So I had to, I looked up the best motivational speaker. I was listening to Tony Robbins, Eric Thomas, you know, Inky Johnson, Ray Lewis. I mean, I literally had to start the first 20 minutes of my day watching those YouTube videos, feeling like, okay, I'm doing this praying right and then all of a sudden i started doing all the fms the movements learning about belly breathing and all this extra information i was just spending time learning about youtubing reading on how to heal my back and next thing you know hey you know what i got feeling back on my left leg hey you know what 
I did a body weight squat today. Hey, you know what? I just squatted 135 pounds. Doctor said I would never do that. Hey, guess what? Now that's 225 pounds. Guess what? That's 405 pounds that I'm squatting again. Made that comeback. And I just knew I don't ever want anybody to go through what I went through and feel like they're trapped or they're lost or this is going to be their life. And I just knew I'm going to take this and run with it. I'm going to help as many people as I can, whether they have back pain, ankle pain, knee pain. I don't care. I know you can make a comeback. I want to help you achieve your goals in fitness because I know when you achieve that victory in fitness, what it does for your life and the people around you. Yeah. I mean, I can't explain it, man. It's, it's something out of this world. Yeah. And I can agree that Anyone you talk to will tell you they have some fitness goal, you know, whether they're working out consistently or not, they have some type of fitness goal. And you've been able to help out, I think, hundreds of people at this point in the game. You've had so many clients that you've assisted going back to college, just going back to when me and you were creating workout programs together. I still remember those moments. So I'm excited to see how many more people you're going to be able to help over the next couple of years of your life, even though you've already gotten into title and escrow. What is, what is holding you back from being able to go even further in your life? What do you feel like some things that you could focus on to even push even further past what you're already doing? I think for me, and it's funny, you and I talked about it right before we started recording was waking up earlier because when you and I played at Cal Poly, I mean, we were up every day at 4 a.m. for practice, right? And it'd be freezing cold out there. You'd see frost on the field and you're hitting people at 4:45 in the morning and your joints are all cold and then my job right out of college was fms which i mean i'm waking up at 3:30, 2:30 in the morning sometimes to drive three hours to be screening and training at 6 30 in the morning so yeah by after about eight years of waking up that early i was pretty over it so i got into real estate and it was like everything doesn't start till nine you know so i started sleeping in and even this past year, I had a lot of success, but I was still waking up at like 7 or 6.30. And I think that was a, an area where I'm like, man, I'm really wishing I would wake up earlier. And then finally, I just said enough is enough. When coronavirus hit, I had been sober um, because of my wife's seizure. You know, she can't drink. So I was like, I'm not going to let you go through that alone. I won't drink either. So we've been sober for three months. And in those three months, I feel like I'm in flow right now because I've woken up every single day at 5 a.m., no issues. I've taken control of my morning and I've implemented what I think is one of the most dominant morning routines from people like Tony Robbins says, success leaves clues. And they left the clues of a morning routine that I've just copied and pasted into my life. And I think that was the weakest area in my life. And now I feel like it's honestly my strongest. I love that. I love that you, you brought in your wife too into the conversation. You, you said that you made a sacrifice about three months ago um, where you went sober. And that was right around the time that the pandemic, COVID-19, what we're facing right now started. Um, and you started adopting morning rituals. While everyone else is relaxing and finding time to sleep in and enjoy working from home, you're establishing some new habits in the morning that are contributing to your success, including going sober. Can you talk a little bit about what sparked you wanting to establish those morning routines and um, how much longer you're planning on being sober, what that's looking like for you? 
Yeah, man. I think everything happens in your life. It's not by accident. It's how you look at it. And I think for me and my wife, that was a great moment for us to kind of bond together. And, you know, I think there's nothing stronger than the commitment between a husband and his wife. And when I was like, you know what, I could drink and you not drink, but what, what's the point in that? Let's do this together. We've done everything together. We've tackled student loan debt together. We've done everything together. So I'm not going to drink. And I, while I'm at it, I feel so good right now because I'm not, you know, having a glass of wine or anything like that. I'm eating well. And you know what? Why don't I start waking up earlier? Because there's a lot of things I've always wanted to do. I wanted to start a YouTube channel. I wanted to start a podcast. I wanted to write a book. I had never done any of that. But when I woke up earlier, I was like, damn, I really have time for this now. And kind of, you know, that was the spark I think that I needed. And also because, you know, when you have a seizure, you get your license taken away for six months. I had to drive her to work every morning. So before even COVID happened, I I was like, I'm going to need to wake up earlier so I can get everything I need to get done. Then I'm going to have to take her to the office and then come home. So that's going to take up, you know, at least 30 minutes of my time. Mm -hmm. So let me start waking up earlier. And that's kind of originally how it started. And now it's just snowballed. Wow. So you established morning rituals because from what I've heard, you know, Gemma, your wife, she had a seizure and now she had her license um, taken. That happens sometimes, guys, when you experience a seizure um, for health reasons, they, w- they want to make sure that you can drive for the next, I believe, six, six months to a year um, and that everything's okay. So you've been waking up earlier, taking your wife into work, and you've also been um, you said meditating and working out and, and, and doing some writing in the morning. What are some things that you think everyone could do in the morning time that might benefit them that's benefited you? What would be some things that you feel like most of us should include in our morning ritual that you know have led to your success? Dude, that's a, that's a great question. Because I'll, I'll tell you what, like we talked about it. I honestly didn't like waking up early in the morning. It was really hard for me. So the minute my alarm goes off at 5 a.m., I always say set yourself up for success. Waking up at 5 a.m. happens the night before. So when I wake up at 5 a.m., I have my socks, sweats, and hoodie right right underneath my bed. So alarm goes off, boom, I'm comfortable, right? I go sit on the couch, right? And I, I have my little heating pad that I put on to open up my neck and my back, right? And then I'll do... Tony Robbins guided meditation. You can find it on YouTube. It's 15 minutes. But after those 15 minutes, no matter how tired I am or how many little eye boogers and crusts I have and I don't want to get up, I'm on it after that 15 minutes. Bro, I'm not even going to lie to you, Carlton. The visualization through this guided meditation is so real. I literally was having visions of one day, you know, Gemma holding our newborn child. And I had a tear, a single tear streamed down my face just in guided meditation because wow. I felt that moment so real. I'm mm-hmm. telling for anybody who's listening, just YouTube it. Tony Robbins guided meditation, 15 minutes. I do that first thing right when I wake up at 5 a.m. Yeah, you mentioned this Tony Robbins guided meditation. I need to try that out. I haven't tried it. You sent it over to me about a week ago. I'm going to give it a try. And then viewers, I'll let you know what my experience is with that. Andrew, we appreciate you um, sharing that with us. I believe meditation has definitely helped me slow down my mind 
I'm the type of person that's always busy with um, things I have to do throughout the day. And I'm also thinking about a lot of the things that I want to execute in my life. And so it leads me to putting a lot of pressure on myself. And then I have all these ideas in my head and I don't put them out on paper. So getting into a very quiet place and having a, a, a moment to just practice some gratitude with meditation and breathing techniques has allowed me to kind of slow my day down, really focus on those things that I need to focus on and appreciate the whole process of what I'm really trying to accomplish. So I love that you said that. Being that you've been working on, you know, improving as a husband, improving as a business owner, and improving as an employee, what are some of those things that you feel um, are fears of yours? I know that we've talked about some of the great things that you've accomplished so far, but what are some things that you fear? I know that personally for me, if, if my fiance, who me and Jeanette, we just got um, engaged in December, I know that if she was having some um, seizures right now, I would be a little bit fearful. Um, I know that during this COVID-19, with the marketplace being uncertain, I would be a little bit fearful. So personally, what are some things that you fear and how are you handling um, fear in itself? It's a great question, bro. Great question. I would say my biggest fear is, is what I did back in college, taking something for granted having the skills, the talents, and the abilities to really exceed and excel and wasting them. I think that's my biggest fear is that I feel like I can motivate, I can inspire, and God has blessed me with the ability to communicate, to network, and have such a positive and energetic outlook on life that I don't want to waste that. That's my biggest fear is that I didn't put out enough content, I didn't help enough people, yeah, I would say that's my biggest fear. I love that. And I think me and you kind of share in some of those, some of those fears, naturally by the people we are. Um, we have this underlying voice in our head that's telling us to continue to push harder, even though we're already pushing hard. We have this underlying voice in our head that's telling us to do another rep or to, to make another phone call or to send another email, even though we've already sent phone calls and already done emails. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just that tenacious um, tenacious character that we have inside of us, Andrew, that I feel like that I feel like has led to a lot of our success, and which has also allowed us to gravitate towards each other. One of the things that I will say is, um, is that I really feel like you leverage your faith on getting a lot done in the workplace. Can you talk about how your relationship with God has led to some of your success, even when you're not anticipating success? And how God has been able to align things in your path simply by you just being a, a, a servant. Yeah, I, I love it. In the Bible, it says, if you shall not be embarrassed of me in front of man, I shall not be uh, embarrassed in front of you before God, right? So people will say, and I had it on my last job, like, hey, don't talk about politics. Don't talk about religion. I was cool about not talking about politics, but for me, I'm like, man, you can't tell me about my faith. Like I'm not obviously going to be putting in people's face, but I have no problem saying everything that I have right now is directly correlated to my relationship with God. And you know, KD, I tell you stories, bro, like that you won't, you won't even imagine, man. Like I'll literally this, I'll, I'll share them with you guys. Like I was praying one day because I would read in the Bible, you know, why don't we pray big prayers? We pray for our health and that I'll get to work safely and, 
you know, we, we pray simple prayers. Why don't we pray big prayers? Why don't God help me double my business overnight? God help me to get a million YouTube subscribers in this next year. You know, big prayers. God help me to make $200,000 this year. I've been praying that when I was making 35, $40,000 a year. Right. And then it starts happening. I prayed, God help me double my real estate business. I kid you not Carlton that next morning I get a call from a lender client who's like, Hey, we're no longer happy with who we're using for title and escrow. You know, they say, yeah, we open about this many orders a month in my head. I'm like, you know, people always fluff like, yeah, I open this many orders and it's half of what they tell you it is. And within the next day, my business went from opening like 75 orders a month to opening 200 orders a month, like completely doubled. And that was the day after I made that prayer. I've had prayers where I'll say, God, you know, I'm praying I'll open a new title order from someone I don't even know that I know that it's directly ordained from you because there's no other explanation. And this happened last week, Carlton. I told you, I opened up uh, an open order confirmation on my email. I'm like, what? Who is this from? I look at the agents. I'm like, I don't know either of them. I Facebook them. I look them up on Instagram. I'm like, they're not even in my context. So I start looking through the purchase agreement. And there my name is, Andrew Walsh, WFG title, written in for a new million dollar deal. And I'm like, holy, God. dude, I literally just like, I could feel God there just smiling yeah. down on me. Like you pray, I'm listening. Like Matthew, I think 11 says, um, I'm going to read this because this is, this is the greatest verse. I always say, attach scripture to your prayers, right? Yes. So this verse is going to say right here, I pray this throughout my day. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open to you. And that's Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. I, I, I recite that all day throughout my day, attached yeah. to prayer. And, and brother, you're consciously aware. You're, you're consciously aware. You're practicing in the morning. Your morning ritual is where it began. Practicing faith allows you to be consciously aware that God is your coworker working alongside you, making sure that everything that you are doing can come to light because you are simply asking and living a Christ-like life. That is ultimately what I love about this conversation. I'm so glad I brought you into this chat room. And I told you guys this would be a special um, interview today. Andrew's a powerful human being. He's, he, he's walked a, you know, a fine line with Christ for the last 26, 27 years of his life. And someone who I look to um, for advice often for my faith and um, for just being a better man for, for, for my wife, for my fiance, Jeanette, who is my wife-to-be. Andrew, um, I know that we didn't get into a whole lot of the title and escrow conversation. We talked a little bit about your story and where you've come from, but I did want to ask you, is there anything that you want um, my viewers to know about title and escrow right now? It's about May 26, 2020. Any volatility in the marketplace that we need to be aware about or just in general, giving them what an idea of title and escrow even is? Yeah, of course, man. That's, that's awesome. So right now what's going on is you're seeing in our nation's history, the lowest mortgage rates we've ever seen. I mean, back in the 80s, they were at like 12%. And that's if you had good credit, right? In the 2010s, 
you know, you're looking at like 6%. That's if you had good credit. Right now, rates are down to 3.2%, which is unreal. So for anyone who's listening that's a little bit younger, this is the time to get your credit score in check. Get your FICO score in check. Pay off your, your credit card debts right now, right? Because when you go to apply for a house, it's going to be so important that you have a good credit score right now. Also, too, in the market, you're going to be seeing um, that jumbo loans, those are going to be around $750,000 or more, are really not being backed by banks right now because they don't really know what all is going on with coronavirus. So that's kind of what you're seeing a little bit in the real estate side, which has kind of led to a little bit of slow in refinances. But in the next month to two months, you're going to see probably one of the biggest refinances booms we've, we've ever seen because these rates are so low. Everyone's going to want to refi, get locked in on these lower mortgage rates that they're paying on interest each month. And then you're also seeing a lot of um, sales go into escrow right now because we kind of weathered the first two months of COVID-19. People are kind of getting back to business as usual. Buyers are regaining confidence. They feel like they can put money into escrow, purchase this house, move in safely now. So this is, this is all a good sign. And this has happened within the last week that you're starting to see a lot more deals go into escrow. I love it. So interest rates are at an all-time low. Jumbo loans are they're hard to come by now. And from what it looks like, it seems like if you've been doing a pretty good job of saving your money and paying off debts that you might be in a good position to possibly make a buy, um, especially for our millennials who um, are most likely going to be first time home buyers. Yeah, bro. You don't even need to put that much down. There's so many programs you could put as little as 3% down. I mean, if it's under, I think like 650,000 or something, you could put, 3% down. Let me do the math for you real quick on that. Yeah. 650,000 times 0.03, $19,500. With $19,500 under an FHA loan, you can get into your first primary residence. That is incredible. Incredible. And then Carlton knows all the tax benefits and deductions that you can get. Uh, I mean, it's crazy right now. If you're just being smart and budgeting and like Carlton and I always say, you're telling your money where to go. This is the perfect time. One, we're not spending money foolishly on movies, drinking, dinners, you know, all that extra money is going to pay off your debts. So then once you start, like, let's say you make $80,000 a year, how much of that money do you actually see? Does your bank account have $80,000 in it right now? Probably not. Once you pay off all your debts, then you will see, okay, pretty much just either my rent and my car are the only expenses. I'm starting to look and at my taxes. bank account and taxes, right? I look at my bank account and everything's pretty much in there, right? That's good. I love that. You, you've disrupted an industry that most people wouldn't find sexy or even attractive. Title and escrow kind of doesn't get a, a whole lot of fame. The real estate agent, the mortgage lender, or people that you're more familiar with, but Title and escrow, it seems like you never really hear too much about the title and escrow process, but you're the number one title and escrow officer in Orange County. If you look up Andrew Walsh's name, he has over 100 reviews online. He's pretty much disrupted the industry in less than three years. Can you talk about what you did to 
intrude on an industry that's not very well known and establish yourself as the front runner in less than three years and you're less than 30. Yeah, bro. Well, thank you for those accolades. Um, yeah, it's crazy. I think for me, I was never in real estate. So I looked at it with a totally different mindset. Like people who have been in the business for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, they're like, this is the way things are. I come in with like a completely different background, somebody who built their own personal training brand into an online fitness training brand who understood the importance of building your own personal brand, right? People want to work with, you know, WFG title, but they rather work with Andrew Walsh. So if I can build a strong name, strong reputation, be a hustler, be a go-getter, be someone that no matter what, if my name's attached to it, it's getting the absolute best effort from an email, from a text, everything is perfectly spelled out. There's no errors, the pictures, the everything is perfect because my name's attached to it. And I take pride in those little things, which people are like, if he's going to take pride in these little things, I definitely think he'll take pride in taking care of me and my clients with title and escrow. And then from there, I think it was a lot of, you know, building my brand. People want to work with people that they know that they like and they trust. And with social media, you can build that rapport and I feel like that's kind of what's helped me to, to establish myself so quickly and, and build a name for myself. Yeah, your personal branding took off in the moment you went into Title and Escrow. I just remember contacting you and reaching out to you before I got started in investing. And I asked, I was like, what is Title and Escrow? I need to know what this is because it seems like you're super passionate about it. And you started posting about it so frequently that I was so interested just to learn what you were doing. And then you, you built a brand around it and you got yourself to where you're literally the number one title rep in Orange County and being able to see you speak in front of, you know, people who have been in the real estate game for 30, 40 years. This is pretty exciting knowing that um, you've taken a different approach. And I feel like with taxes, I kind of took a similar approach as well, being in the fact that I don't have an accounting background yet that I assist over 10,000 clients on a year to year basis. And I think it's because of the way I approach taxes. Most people assume tax accountants are bookworms and that they sit in front of a desk and computer and they crunch numbers all day. When really um, a tax strategist is someone who's helping you leverage the tax codes by just coaching with you and asking you the right questions and making sure that they're there with you while you're making financial decisions throughout the year, such as purchasing new vehicles or wanting to get into a new apartment or you know having children or getting married. When you're making financial decisions, you should be working with the tax strategist to um, make sure that you're leveraging everything you possibly could underneath the tax laws so you're not overpaying. So I love the approach that you've taken. Um, we're running out of time right now, but I do want to give my viewers a chance. Is there three things that you want to leave them with before we head off on this call that they can take with them as a remembrance of Andrew Walsh? Yeah, bro. And I just want to tell you, man, I, I think you do such a great job, KD. Like that's why people like working with you because not only are they getting their taxes done, they know you are on it. You are very informed. You, you, you pride yourself on continued education and you're a great dude to be around. So it's like, I can go to this person who's a tax professional or I could go to Carlton, who's not only going to be a good friend, he's going to leave me feeling positive and energetic. You know, it's, it's like a no brainer, you know? And you've helped me out so much. But to answer your question, three takeaways, I would say <laughs> morning routine, right? Absolutely. Um, 
And then you said the Tony Robbins morning motive or morning guided meditation. Yeah. I can send you the link and you can post it in the description of this or perfect or whatever. So yeah, I definitely say morning routine. I would say, you know, you got to believe in something for me. It's God. That's a higher power. And I think I pray so hard sometimes. I mean, I'll pray for like literally an hour in the morning and I'm praying hard and I'm reading scripture people probably think I'm crazy. I'm flipping through the Bible. I'm looking on Google for Bible verses that are coming to me while I'm speaking prayers. Um, So I would say, you know, find a higher purpose for me. It's God. And then number three, I would say, um, try to be a miracle for someone else. Live every day to make somebody else's life better. I always say, you know, I do things expecting nothing in return. You know, I know I've even had some real estate agents come up to me. They're like, man, I thought you were just like super nice because you were trying to get business or anything. But that's just like who you are. I'm like, I don't expect anything in return. I'm going to ask you how your family's doing. I'm going to reach out and say that I'm praying for you. And I genuinely mean it. If you happen to give me business, that's great. If not, hey, you have one more person who's looking out for you, thinking of you and, and caring for you. So those would be, you know, my three takeaways. Morning routine have a higher purpose and, you know, do things for other expecting nothing in return. I love that, Andrew. And guys, I really hope that if you're listening to this, you're, you're hearing these words. I mean, this is a man that has nothing but humbleness in his body. He is truly just trying to give back. And uh, I can honestly say having a friend that just texts you three or four times out of the week with a, a minute to two minute long message, just telling you to have a good day, reading some scripture in the Bible and praying for you is, you know, it's the most invaluable thing you can absolutely have in a friendship. Someone who genuinely wants you to live a Christ-like life and someone who's praying for your good health and your family's health on a daily basis while they're praying for other people. It's a relationship I always cherish. Andrew, I'm glad that I brought you on to Tax-Free Living. Um, Viewers, how can they get in contact with you or follow you in your podcast? Yeah, bro. Just uh, thank you so much for having me on. Just uh, Instagram at A underscore Walsh and all my podcasts and everything's in that little bio, link in the bio, you know, as they say. But thank you so much, Katie, for having me on. I think your podcast is going to do really awesome. You have great things to say and I'm very excited for you, brother. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. We'll see you again on Tax-Free Living. Take care.